0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> it is uh, again another day that we have to uh, study another portion of God's word, and uh, the title of my lesson this morning is going to be "Thirsting for Water." And I want to talk about uh, just a little bit before I get into the lesson about um, what thirst is and and you know how it plays a role not just in our Uh, in our actions, but also um, how it plays a role in our our Christianity. So, thirst is, we all have experienced thirst. Uh, We know what it's like. Um, You know, some people will say that uh, if you're thirsty, you're already at the beginning stages of dehydration. Um, Our bodies are 70% water. And every time we respire, we're exhausting water from our body. Every time we sweat, um, we are again. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking? Excreting water from our bodies um, every time we uh, every time we do anything, we're burning water, and it requires us to to drink water in order to replenish our stock. Um, when you don't drink enough water, um, it it causes problems with the body. Um, I don't want to get too far into the weeds for the sake of time, but um, you start, maybe you start to get thirsty. Um, It can lead to other signs and symptoms of uh, a heat-related illness. You can have headaches. You can have high blood pressure, um, an inability to sweat if it becomes too extreme. Um, It can lead to a loss of consciousness, seizures, and uh, in the severest form of dehydration, it can lead to death. Um, we look at thirst um, even in you know, the context of other plants and animals, right? We, we know when a plant is thirsty, uh, it no longer stands upright, it kind of droops, it changes colors. Uh, we know when the soil is thirsty, it starts to lose its color and its continuity starts to crack and um, it just looks unhealthy. First is a natural thing, um, it's a natural part of life, and that's the reason why um, all life is focused around the search for water. Um, one of the things that we take for granted here in the 21st century is our reliance upon water. Um, water, by far, of all the utilities that you pay for every month, is one of the cheapest things that you pay for. Um, you know, if you look at your water bill, your water bill, for those of us who maybe for those of you who may be even on a meter, the city only charges you pennies on the dollar for, for your water, but without water, every human being on the planet earth would cease to exist. We would all die. We could live without electricity. We could live without gas. We cannot live without water. And because the value of water is so relatively cheap compared to all the other quote-unquote necessities of life, um, we waste it. We don't look for it. We don't strive for it. We're not like uh, our, our, our brethren in Africa that, that have to walk three miles to a, to a pond and, and scoop up muggy, dirty water. The same water that... The rhinos, the elephants, and the giraffes are also drinking out of it. Uh, we, we, we turn on our tap water and we expect water to be there. We're so stingy with our water that we don't even drink tap water anymore. Right? We oh that's that's not good enough for me. I've got to drink filtered water. And if there isn't filtered water, I go to the store and I pay a premium for bottled water. Even though you know, this water is right there at your tap. And what I want to talk about is, as it pertains to thirst, is relative to the tap of water that we have available for, our, for us spiritually, each and every day. And how we take this spiritual water, this spiritual tap, this, this, uh, these waters that are flowing from the fountain everlasting, how we take it for granted. When we get thirsty, we're like, eh, you know what? Water is water. Whoop-de-doo, I'm going to go grab a Coke or a Pepsi or a Sprite or some other forms of uh, you know, trying to fulfill this desire for thirst or this, uh, this desire that we call thirst. When we could just go straight to the tap. Um, there are those even who are particular about where they get their spiritual water from. They don't go to the tap themselves. They go to the store. Or in this case, what I'll say is they wait until Sundays. You know, they wait for the preacher to take this water and distill it for them so that they don't have to work very hard for it. All they have to do is show up and partake in the mutual drinking of the sermon. Um, and it can't be just... It can't. It It's not just that brother's sermon or that brother sermon, now I only feel like I've been, like I've only feel as if I'm drinking the word of God if brother Bill gives the sermon or brother Jim Bob gives the sermon or if he's got a PhD, uh, uh, an MS, you know, he, he went to the Yale Divinity or uh, Southwest, uh, Southwestern Christian or whatever the case may be. I'm particular about where I get my spiritual tap water from or my spiritual water from when all we have to do is go straight to the book. Now this is a lesson for Christians. I think one of the things that Sister Marzette brought out in our our um, our Bible class uh, this morning is that to the non-Christian yeah, you need to be particular. You can't just go to every To any Tom, Dick, or Eric who's saying, hey, here's spiritual water. Drink it. It's important that the non-Christian understands that any other type of water other than the water that comes from Jesus Christ is a cursed water. Here's what I'll say. We need fresh water, not salt water. So if somebody came up to you and said, hey, water is water is water. Well, where did you get it? Well, I got it from the from the pond out in the back of my house, you know, that stagnant pond. It's water, is water, is water, right? Or where did you get this water? Well, I got this from the sea, uh, from the Dead Sea, you know, the Dead Sea in, in uh, the Middle East, which is so salty that you can float in it, right? Well, water is water, is water. Or rather, I got this water from the pristine... Uh, water springs on, on the top of Mount Fuji, right? Now that's water. It's not just like all the other types of water. It is the purest form of water because it comes from the pure source. So to the non-Christian, they need to be particular about where they get their water. They need to go to the purest source that's untainted. And I, and I say that in reference to what it says in the first chapter of uh, the book of Galatians, where Paul says, if any person or any angel preach any other gospel than what I preached unto you, let him be accursed. And in essence, what Paul is saying is if that, you, if you drink from any other water source other than the purest water source, the true, the righteous, the sanctified, then that person that gave it to you is a curse, but also that water is cursed. Mm-hmm. It will not, um, it will wind up harming you in the long run, but in the short term, it won't truly kind of get to that, uh, that true, it won't fulfill that true desire for thirst, or that true thirst desire. It won't kind of um, it won't suffice if as I'm tripping <laughs> over my words here. First thing I want to look at this morning is in the book of Revelations. If you have your Bibles, we'll talk about uh, what it says in Revelations, the seventh chapter. And before we read that, I want you to talk about, I want you to think about all the things that you do, or rather, all of the resources, uh, whether you look at your budget, uh, whether you look at the space that we a lot to feeding ourselves, drinking water, you know, taking in nourishment. Um, the emphasis, even even in commercials, uh, today is Super Bowl Sunday. Pepsi, Dr. Pepper, Pizza Hut, uh, Buffalo Wild Wings, all of these various commercials are going to be and, and, and you can count them, um, by percentage, all of those commercials are going to be centered around feeding or drinking. Yes. Something, right? Think about all of the money that you spend in your budget that is centered around filling this gullet. Mm-hmm. Think about the time. Think about the time that you spend daydreaming about food or drink. Okay, if you're not a food person. Then you may not grasp it. I am. Sometimes I sit in my office and think, "Ooh, it's lunchtime. What am I going to eat today?" You know, not necessarily that I'm worried about my next meal. It's that food is so plenteous that I can actually think about you know my options and my various options for food, my various options for drink, and all of these things. Okay, let's let's step back for a second and let's think about. The time and energy and the amount of resources that are spent in third world countries. I'm not talking about first world countries where we come from. I'm not talking about third world countries. How much time, energy, and resources they put into their daily lives and thinking and actions to just fulfill the need for food and drink. It's astounding. It's astounding. It's astounding. I, and I don't have the numbers, right? But I, I'm just, you know, anecdotally, based on, you know, my 40 years of life mm-hmm. and, and looking at how the world works. If I was in sub-Saharan Africa right now, um, I would spend a lot of my time thinking about, okay, okay. Or rather, <clears throat> since I'm, I'm, I'm a male in sub-Saharan Africa, I'm not doing too much, but I know my woman and southern horn after my wife she's got to be thinking about waking up in the morning she's got to take all of the the harvest i'm i'm the farmer right so i'm providing the food right and i'm thinking about water and drainage and how the <coughs> ox is going to plow uh, plow the field and then i'm giving it to my, my female counterpart and then she's you know beating it and churning it and she's got to create the fire and then we've got to skin the goat and that's just for one meal. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's just for un meal. So let's say we eat twice a day. My goodness, how much time and energy does it take to make a tortilla? Let alone walk in the three miles in that direction and three miles back for water. Mm-hmm. Okay, that may be lost on you. Let's look at the animal kingdom for a second. How much time and resources are... I'm talking about not the dogs that live in my house, but I'm talking about the animals out there in the wild. How much time <coughs> and resources do animals in the natural world spend on trying to find food and water? Now, I don't know a whole lot about animals, but I can tell you the pictures that I've seen of lions, they spend... A large majority of time. Okay, maybe that's lost on you. Look at the microscopic organisms, bacteria. How much time and energy and resources do they spend on the search for food and water. Every single living creature on the planet Earth yes. is constantly in pursuit of filling the desires of an empty belly. Our thirst. Keep that in mind as we read from the book of Revelations, chapter 7. In Revelations, chapter 7, starting at verse number 9, this is John's vision that he got while he was in prison on the island of Patmos. It says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man can number. Of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white right robes, clothed with right, clothed with white robes, and psalms in their hands. I apologize. Maybe I need to take a sip of water. And cried with a loud voice, saying, "Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb." And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, And one of the angels answered, saying unto me, what are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of the great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. He's talking about Christians. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple, and he sitteth on the th- and and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. And listen to this: they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more; neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Think about not having to spend any time or resources on food or water. Think about how much time it would free up in your day to do other things. Uh, You know, as it says here, they will hunger no more. They will thirst no more. It says in verse number 17 that the Lamb, capital L, who we know is Christ, Jesus the Christ, it says, he will, He says, <clears throat> the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and lead them unto living fountains of water. Food and water shall be plenty. So plenty is that you won't ever feel hungry. So plenty is that you'll never for th- never feel thirst. I'm thirsty right now. It's going to take me energy. Had, had Brother Marzette and I brought this up there, I would have been, man, I'm thirsty. But I can't talk and drink at the same time. I can't worship God and drink at the same time. Can I not? I can't eat and worship God at the same time. And if you look at what this verse is saying in verse number 15, it says that they will be before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. They will worship God day and night in the temple without any food or water breaks. Right? Because otherwise they'd say, they would be serving day and night in the temple except for moments where they got to take a rest. Right? Man, it is exhausting to, to, to pray and to worship. I'm burning calories, which is the reason why we all need food. Right? I'm expelling water in the form of sweat and breathing as I speak and sing. Water vapor is escaping my mouth. Right? There would be some limit as to how much worshiping and praying and singing I could do if there was an absolute need for me to eat and drink. Mm -hmm. I can't talk at the same time that I'm drinking. I'd have to stop. It would be taxing to the body, right? But we all know in heaven we will not have a body. But we will still have a necessity for things. But what the scripture is telling us is that in this place where we will go, uh, as, we, as John has seen this vision here in, in Revelation, the seventh chapter, where there will be no more hunger, there will be no more thirst, there will be no tears, is that God will provide everything we need automatically, even before we need it. And that's a beautiful thing. But as be as it may, we're still on the physical plane of life. So how does God provide for us when we're when we're in need of spiritual food, or where we're where we are in need of spiritual waters, or where we have a spiritual thirst? How does God <coughs> provide that? So simply put, go to uh, John the the first chapter and Brother Garner the third. Uh, I want you to read for me um, John, <coughs> the first chapter, and read verses uh, uh, 1 through 5, please. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The seed was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Thank you, bro. Um, let's. And you don't have to turn over here, um, if if you don't have. Well, if you're following along, just keep your mark at John the first chapter, and we're going to flip back to uh, Genesis chapter two. Uh, I've been really had a. There's so much more in the. There's a lot of information to be gleaned from that first, from the first book uh, of the Bible. Um, certainly from that first chapter, first and second chapter. But uh, <clears throat> Genesis, the second chapter. In Genesis, the second chapter, starting at verse number 8, it says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So there weren't any poisonous trees in the garden. We all, we all grab that? Yes. Right, so every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good to be eaten for food. Food. Right, so in the garden of Eden where God had placed man he would never be hungry. There was plenty of food. Automatically, this food would grow. And all men had to do was go over to XYZ tree. <coughs> didn't matter what tree. Whatever tree was closest to you, Adam, or closest to you, Eve, you could grab from it and eat of it, except for one. And we all know this, right? Yes. And it says that... Uh, that Again, there were trees there that were good for food, including the tree of life also was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Skip ahead, it says, and it says in verse number 12, and the gold of that land is good, there was uh, Lydellium, and the onyx stone and the name of the second river is the home uh, the same as that that compassed the whole land of Ethiopia okay um, and it says that there was a third river in the 14th verse uh, called Hittikul and again if somebody's listening to this podcast um, you know let's see I'm speaking to the internet didn't think it would come to this but okay if you're listening to the podcast nonetheless um, or if I am saying that if I'm pronouncing these, these rivers incorrectly please correct me but this is Thomas Kerner with a, a high school college education but didn't go to you know uh, a, a school where they study Hebrew and such and such any case I'm going to go with that and that which is, and that, that is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria, and the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden, meaning to dress it and to keep it. What's interesting is that it took waters in order, and these rivers had to be, had to go into this garden in order to provide nourishment for these various trees and that through this nourishment of water, these various trees would bear fruit. It's interesting, again, if you go back to the book of Revelation, um, that it took the lamb to dwell amongst the people. Right? Just as it took waters from these various rivers to intersect and dwell and to be a part of the Garden of Eden to provide nourishment for the trees, and thus provide nourishment for the man, it took, or it takes the lamb, as it talks about in the book of Revelation, to dwell amongst the people in order for this innumerable multitude of different kindreds, peoples, tongues, etc. These same people that had their, their, their robes washed white, it takes the lamb to dwell amongst them in order for them to be fed, in order for them to be led to the fountains of water that flow um, evermore. In the book of John, we read of the Word. And it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It goes on to say in verse number 3 that all things are made by the Word, and without the Word was not anything made that was made. As a matter of fact, in verse number 4... It says that in the Word, or in Him, was life, and the life was the light of men, or the vitality of men. You know, the thing that makes men uh, a living soul, the thing that, that keeps men going. You know, the Word is the vitality, or the light of men. How do I know this? And it says, and the light shineth in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. Mm -hmm. How do I know even furthermore, going on and looking forward, as it says about the light, it says in verse number 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came forth as a witness to bear witness of the capital L, light, Mm -hmm. that all men through him might believe. He was not John the Baptist, as it's referring to, was not that light, but was sent to bear the witness of that light. And if you don't fully grasp it, verse number 9 says, that was the true light which lighted, or gives life, to every man that cometh into the world. Every man that is born into the world, it is the light, capital L, the Light, capital L, meaning proper pronoun, meaning Light is referring to a name of a particular individual that gives vitality and life to mankind. Who do we know this... Who do we know who is this person? We know who this person is. We know that this person is Jesus the cross. Verse number 14 of John chapter 1, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we behold His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We know that this is Christ because John the Baptist came as a messenger of God, proclaiming the coming of Jesus Christ. So we see that the water, who the water is, or who the, the nourishing water is. Who, who is it that gives us the food and the water, the spiritual food and the water that we need in order to survive? It's the light, it's the Word, it's Jesus. If you go to your, the scripture reading this morning, uh, John, the seventh chapter, verses 37 through 38. It's interesting um, to read here what's going on. So there were um, there are some feasts that uh, the Jews were required um, to uh, partake in every every year. You know, there was a feast of the Tabernacle, the feast of the Atonement, the Passover, uh, the feast of the Harvest. Um, there were a couple of ones that are eluding me, but it's a feast. What do people do when they feast? They eat and drink. What? Why does the? Why does a remembrance of what God has done for the Jewish people, or the Hebrews, or the Israelites? Why does that? Um, why does this this event of remembrance about how God provides for His people? Why is it centered around? A feast think about it for a second okay you okay just follow me here how many of us love free food how many of us would show up to or how many of us would be more likely to show up to a meeting if they're if they're serving food as well versus going to a meeting that doesn't how many of us would be enthusiastic, rather, to go to a meeting where they are serving free food. Now, I'm not a man who... And I'm not patting myself on the back of any stretch of the I'm just saying, generally speaking, all of us here in this room have enough resources to go out and feed ourselves. But let somebody say, Hey, come over to my house for a free meal. right? We're going to talk about some business But I've got some food. How many of us would be like, you know what, I really don't want to talk about business, but I really am hard-pressed to pass up a free meal. Especially if it's good food. Right? So, God in His infinite wisdom set up these moments where He commanded the Jews, the Hebrews, and the Israelites, and I'm talking about who they were at various once in history, that they should come together over a meal in remembrance of God in all the different ways that God has protected, fed, forgiven, and served them. So, here at this moment, right, over a meal, because human beings love to eat Human beings love to drink. We have a physiological need to eat and drink. It is something that nobody, even if you are bulimic or anorexic, you still can't overcome this overwhelming desire for calories and water. We need it. People on a food strike, you know what they're thinking? The thing thinking, I can't wait for this food strike to be over because the first thing I'm going to do when I'm done is I'm going to find the largest, juiciest hamburger. I'm going to fill my body with calories. But eat here at this meal, Jesus stands up. It says, Then cried Jesus in the temple... Or, sorry, I'm looking at verse 28. It says, In the last day, that great day of the feast... Again over, you know, we're about to eat. It says, Jesus stood and cried, saying, and this is perplexing, right? Why would Jesus be talking about thirst when we've got a meal in front of us? Right? What what, what are you talking about, Jesus? Look at all this food we got. Look at all this uh, fruit juice, or I don't know if they had water, but I'm sure they had you know, uh, grape juice, right? Look at all of this stuff we have here. It's it's a feast. We're commanded by God to, you know, bring all of our food and drink together. But he stood up and he cried, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Huh? Jesus, you're, we're, we're all here at the same feast. He says, he that believeth on me, as the scripture had said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Verse number 39, it says, but this he, but this spake he of the spirit, which they that believe on him should receive for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet given glorified or rather had not died and had been resurrected and as a result glorified by his father our father in heaven but here Jesus is he's saying hey come unto me if you're thirsty come unto me and out of out of my belly will flow living waters what it? uh flows rivers, excuse me, of living water. I don't buy it. I would be thinking in my head as I'm standing there, I don't buy it. Or, I'm not thirsty enough right now, Jesus, to come to you. Because I'm at a feast. Or mm-hmm. I'm eating and I'm drinking. You know, the one of the reasons why the... And we all know this. You can go back to the book of Hebrews and, and look this up for yourself. But the failing of the Old Testament to bring... Rather, the failing of man to be able to use the Old Testament because the scripture tells us the Old Testament was holy. Uh, because it was given by God. Mm-hmm. But the... The inability of obedience to the old law to get a, a man or a woman to the righteousness that God would want or expect each and every one of us to, to be at is because of this issue. We can't parse physical hunger from spiritual hunger, we can't separate the two, uh, or at least non believers. <laughs> can't separate the two. And even then, those of us who are believers, those of us who are members of the body of Christ, we have a difficult time separating the two. You can have a full physical belly and be starving spiritually. You can have all the access to water in the tap and have a a deathly need for spiritual water. You know, when people read about heaven, when they say, well, you won't hunger anymore, and you won't thirst anymore, you know what the rich and the elite are saying? Well, I want heaven on this earth. I don't have a need for, for for food or for water. I have never felt hungry or thirsty. As a matter of fact, back in medieval times, they would have feasts, right? So they would gorge themselves for days and days on end, only to... Uh, you know, invoke vomiting to go back to eat and drink. That's how much substance they had. But what does the scripture talk to us about? Jesus standing up in the middle of a feast where there's ample food, he's acknowledging the difference between physical thirst and spiritual thirst. And in doing so, he tells us where to go to be fed or where to go in order to fulfill that thirst. If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, the Book of Romans, please. And uh, if you have your Bibles, we'll look at... um, Romans the seventh chapter. Um, Brother Marzette, uh, can you read for me? Um, we're gonna we're gonna touch on a few things here. <clears throat> uh, Revelation, excuse me, Romans chapter seven. If you can read for me uh, verses, let's say twenty-one through twenty-four. 21 through, uh, 21 through 25. I find in the law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my memory, <coughs> warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man am I, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus, our Lord. Oh, excuse me. I thank God through Jesus, our Lord, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, we so then with the mind I my, I myself serve the Lord. Excuse me, brother. That's no, okay. Verse twenty-five. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Okay. Uh, brother Garner, the third, read Romans chapter eight. Uh, verses 4 through 4 through 6. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh but they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Thank you. So, what Jesus is doing, he's standing up in a crowded room where there's food, ample food and water, and he's talking about thirst and where to go to fulfill that desire for water. What Paul is talking about here in the book of Romans is he's making a distinction. Just as Christ was, is for us to, that, or we have to separate the flesh from the Spirit. Or as it says... In uh, Romans, the eighth chapter, after uh, what Brother Garner, the third, just read. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. If you are constantly worried about the hunger of your physical body, you will lose sight of the, or you will not hear the trembling in your spiritual stomach for spiritual food and for spiritual water. But they that are after the spirit are attuned to are aware of, as it says, they are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, or do mind the things of the Spirit. Because to be carnally minded means that you will die. What death are we talking about? We're not obviously not talking about a physical death, but to think about filling all of... Right, and again, as I just mentioned to you, human beings, creatures on the planet Earth spend an enormous amount of time and resources on trying to find food, calories, and water. But to the Christian, as Jesus stood up and he cried, he said to the believer, the one who is thirsty for spiritual calories and spiritual water, you need to come to me and I'll give it to you. For, as it says in Romans 8 and verse number 6, for to be carnally minded is death, but... To be spiritually minded is life in peace. There's a reason why 1 Peter chapter 2, it says um, as a newborn babe, desire the sincere milk of the word of God. And and here, let me me just read it. I had memorized it, but I don't want to miss the last part. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, In verse number two, it says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word of God, and the last part I think is most important that ye may grow thereby. But it requires us to be spiritually minded. We know where to get it. You know, just as the rivers fed uh, the Garden of Eden. Uh, just as Christ or the lambs feeds those uh, up in heaven, as it states in Revelations, the seventh chapter, the word of God on the physical plane feeds us spiritually. Because he is the light. The light that lights mankind. It gives us the vitality that we need to serve the almighty God. Amen. But you have to be spiritually minded. Instead of thinking about, man, what am I going to eat today for lunch? Or, man, I'm thirsty. I could really use a drink of water. Those are all good things, right? Those are all things we need in order to keep our bodies going. But when was the last time you thought about your spiritual body and your spiritual needs? When was the last time at your lunch break or at your break, you instead of thinking about filling your gullet, you thought about, what am I lacking? What am I deficient in? What spiritual vitamins do I need in order to serve God? And there's a couple ways you can figure that out. There's a couple ways. To be spiritually minded means that you are looking at the Scriptures and seeing where you're falling short. You know, if and, I, and again, I don't want to belabor the point, but, you know, the, the government has a what do they call that, the nutritional pyramid. I think you've got got your carb in the bottom, and then top of the pyramid you've got uh, meats and other things. I I haven't seen it in a while. But the same kind of blueprint is laid for us in the scripture about spiritual health and vitality. Um, I want to thank Brother Marzette because he stole a little bit of my thunder. We were talking about 1 Thessalonians, but the 5th chapter. Is that where you're at? Right? What does it say for, what did Paul tell the church at Thessalonica to do? There's a couple things. There's a diet there that uh, that Paul encouraged. It's a dietary plan. Although it's not a physical dietary plan, it's a spiritual Dietary plan. Amen. And um, let's go over there and take a look at it. 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, starting at uh, verse number 16. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good abstain from junk food or, in this case, from all appearance of evil. And if you do these things, then the very God of peace will sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is a spiritual plan for each one of us. But how many times do each every one of us in our lunch periods, sit down and think, you know what? I haven't prayed in a really long time. When was the last time I prayed? When was the last time I gave thanks to God? When was the last time I allowed the Spirit to move me? When was the last time I studied the Bible? When was the last time I sang and gave glory to God? All of those things are spiritually um, nourishing. But... It's 11.25 a.m. And some of us are thinking right now, what are we having for lunch? Some of us are thinking right now, man, it sure would be nice to have a cup of coffee. Some of us are thinking right now, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Some of us are thinking, you know what? I'd rather watch the Super Bowl at home, but because brother and sister Marzette had the pizza, I'll be there. (laughs) Maybe not me. I'm just saying, some of us, right? We are so energy, food, water sinner. You can't eat a car. You can't eat a boat. You can't eat a house. You can't eat clothes. But I have. I. I. I can eat a hamburger. I can drink a soda. And I'm willing to spend my hard-earned money to get those calories in my body. A rich man won't live to tomorrow unless he spends a portion of his funds on calories and water. Okay, I'm going to belabor the point even more. Go to the parable of the. Oh, yeah, I know. Go to the parable of the, uh, the rich man. His riches were were quantified in how many barns he had that were full of what? Food! But we should rather be spiritually minded and think about how we're feeding our spirits. How are we nourishing our souls? How are we getting to the point where we are perfect and holy? Here's what I'll tell you. If you're not feeding yourself except one day a week, you're starving. You're losing spiritual weight, my brother and my sister. Don't come to worship service and think you're going to get all the food and water that you need in order to survive this next week. You're starving. You can't be an effective human being eating one time a week, can you? Man. Just as well as you can't be an effective servant of God just having a spiritual meal for an hour and a half or two hours, however long we've been here and expect that to get you through the remainder of the week. That's the reason why Paul says you've got to do these things daily. Pray without ceasing. Mm-hmm. That's the reason why the Scripture tells us to study, to show ourselves approved. That's the reason why the scripture tells us that in moments where we come together and feast spiritually, also called fellowship, that we are not to, what is it, forsake the fellowship, assembling of ourselves together in a manner some is, but doing that, knowing that the day is is quickly approaching. I'm paraphrasing. So, thirst and water. If you're thirsty here this morning. here's there's why mean by that, you're confused. You have anxiety. You're un, you're, you're feeling, you're having feelings of unrest. Your your mind is not um, solely focused on the prize. Those are all signs and symptoms of a, of a spiritual thirst. And you know it, and I'm not saying anything that's absolutely amazing or magical because we have all been there in some form or another. We know when we need our spiritual food as believers of the gospel of Christ. We have doubt, we have worry, we have anxiety. We're generally a period of feelings of unrest. And Christ told you. He stood up and cried. If any of y'all are thirsty... I've got it. Just come to me. And so the, the message is for you here this morning. If you're thirsty, you come to the right place. And I'm not saying you... Co- not that I'm giving you the water, but um, the Word of God is giving you the water. Amen. You can get your fill, but just understand... Your fill today is not going to keep you going the remainder of this week. You got to continue to drink. You got to continue to go to those rivers of living water. You know the water is also has has uh, cleansing abilities as well. First John tells us that if we are in fellowship with Jesus Christ, what is he? What what did what do we get as a result of our fellowship? The same water that we drink is also the same water that will wash the stains off our clothes and make us clean. All you got to do is go to him. He isn't available on Sundays. He's available every single day of the week. 365 days, or in this case, 366 days, because this is a leap year of every single year, so the lesson is yours. If you need to be fed, if you need to drink, please come forward as we stand and sing.